years ago, I worked for a, a big company, a very big company, and there was a, the, the company had an after-work softball league. And there was like 50 or 80 teams, a huge number of teams, spread across an A league, which was where the serious players were, B league for the people who were serious but couldn't get into A, um, C league for people who were maybe a little less serious, uh, and then there were three D leagues. There was D plus, D zero, and, and D minus. And I was in D zero, so I wasn't in the bottom most leagues, but some, some years our team was D, D minus, but, um, uh, and, and, and the way it worked, this was in New Jersey, and the, um, the, the, because there were so many, so many teams, so many leagues, they apportioned the, the makeup dates when the fields weren't being used for a game, they apportioned those according to the seriousness. So if it was a rainy summer, then the, the A League finished, uh, their season sooner because they got first crack at the, the makeup dates. And the, the D League, we were kind of playing into October, kind of like with the uh, the World Series, um, and so it was colder, and you're losing your light in the in the evening, and so it just the, the games at the end of the season weren't so much fun, and I don't remember the the exact situation, but there was there was something that had happened. Somebody had wasn't able to be part of the team that day or something, and we were facing: Are we going to forfeit? And um, these are our big D D zero team uh, uh, rivals or something. We didn't want to forfeit to them, so we cheated. Um, uh, I wasn't a pastor then, uh, but uh, so don't do this. But but we had a, we had a ringer. We had an A league player in our department who was really kind of it had been you know a couple of weeks since he'd played softball. He was ready to play, and so we just said, "Why don't you play on our team, and we'll just all pretend that you're that other person who couldn't make the game." So so he said, "Sure," but he showed up and he acted like an A league player. He brought his own equipment. You know, he, you know, cause our bats weren't good enough for him and he had, he had stretch pants and, you know, no shorts or stuff like that. He was, he was just kind of all, he was out of his league, literally. Um, and, uh, he, he played this, you know, he was strategizing. He was, he was out in center field playing four or five positions and, um, he was, he was calling out, uh, you know, what, what position, you know, where are you in the order? Uh, because he's trying to strategize how good a batter this person is and so forth, not realizing this is D-League where no one cares, you know, so so uh, some of it wasn't working so well. But uh, I, I tell you this because I've had the experience of having a ringer on my team. And that's what we're going to talk about today, because we're going to talk about the communion of the Holy Spirit. We've been in this conversation for the last couple of weeks about the benediction, the benediction is this is this closing that we find at the end of letters. And most of the New Testament is letters. There's a handful of biographies. There's four biographies of Jesus, and there's a couple of other books. But the bulk of the New Testament is letters from different church leaders to, to other churches or to other church leaders. And what we find at the end of these letters is a, a benediction. More often than not, there's a benediction. And a benediction is a good word. It's the It's the writer is saying... Uh, essentially pronouncing a blessing on someone, saying, I'm putting in a good word for you uh, with God. And so what we see um, in 14 of the 16 letters with benedictions, the, the benediction is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we saw um, uh, last week or uh, two weeks ago is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is really what sets Christianity apart from every other faith, uh, that we believe that God has given us his favor even though we don't deserve it. 
even in spite of the evidence of our eyes, things that we might, or, or our memory, where we say, I know the things that I've done, and if I was God, I wouldn't favor me. Or maybe we say, if God, uh, if God does favor me, then, then what explains what happened to me in third grade or whatever it is? Uh, whatever the evidence we've got, grace is the idea that God favors us, uh, no matter what we might personally believe about God uh, favoring us or not. So that's kind of the big idea of grace. And what we saw last week is that um, the grace of God is two things. It does two things. First of all, it it um, is what connects us back to God. That we were separated from God, and the grace of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, is what connects us back to God. But we saw it's also how we know about the love of God. That the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is what proves God's love for us. So, so the the things we've looked at are the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is in all of these benedictions. And then one in benediction adds two more parts, and it is the the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit. And what we saw last week is that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is both kind of the foundational principle of our faith, but it's also shorthand for these other two ideas, the the love of God, and then what we're going to talk about today, the communion of the Holy Spirit. So the communion of the Holy Spirit is the... Essentially, all of these are equally important. You can't pick one and say that's the most important uh, doctrine, but uh, it is it is the most important, uh, at least today. Last week it was less important than the love of God, but today the, the, the communion of the Holy Spirit is the most important. And the reason for that is that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God explain why you're here. They explain the relationship you have with God. And the communion of the Holy Spirit explains the people around you. Essentially, the reason the reason you're sitting here in a room full of these other jokers who are just as bad as you are is the communion of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to look at today. It is the idea that we are members of a faith that is not simply about us. So what I'd like to do is, is spend a moment looking at the this scripture passage that that unpacks the idea of the the grace of the Lord, uh, sorry, the uh, communion of the Holy Spirit, and then um, talk about the implications. In in the scripture, there's this word, uh, sometimes you hear me say, I'll say the communion of the Holy Spirit, sometimes I'll say the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Um, Neither one of those is really a popular word. You probably don't tell people at work, hey, I heard that they've got two for one happy hour today, let's go have some communion, right? You don't say that. You don't say, let's go have some fellowship. You say, let's go have a good time together or something like that. And the word in the Bible actually is much closer to that idea than to some church concept about fellowship or communion, things that are kind of in our head. Um, the word in the Bible simply means a sharing. Anytime you would share with anybody, you would use this word for sharing. The, the actual word in the Bible is koinonia, and we'll come back to that in a minute. But anytime there's a sharing is is the same word, fellowship or communion or sharing. And in fact, it's the word for a partnership. When we read about how Jesus called his first disciples and uh, uh, James and John were, were the uh, partners with Simon and Andrew, the word there is they were in a sharing. They were partners with each other. I think there's a slide coming up here. So yeah, he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken and so were James and John, sons of Zebedee, were partners with Simon. They were in a sharing. They were in a fellowship. They were in a communion with Simon. 
So what we're going to do is talk about that word. What is that word? What is the communion of the Holy Spirit? What is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit? The reason we use these two church words is because we're trying to get beyond it. We're trying to say it's not just a partnership. It's not just a sharing. It's a sharing. It's like a team versus a team with a ringer. It's like it's like a club versus a club with God as a member. That's that's the big idea. We use the big word, we use the church word because we're saying it's even more than a team. It's even more than a club. It's even more than a partnership. So let's take a look at this uh, passage of scripture that that um, talks about this. There's many there's many passages of scripture that talk about the the communion of the Holy Spirit. I am partial to Romans uh, 12. It's just a beautiful picture that Paul paints here. So Paul says this. He says. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, what is he getting at here? This is something that has to do with uh, ancient Near Eastern culture. In the Greco-Roman world, uh, there was um, basically a competition for status and honor. That's what everybody everybody was all about. They would understand completely if they went into kind of the the success page or the success section of a bookstore and you know saw the book titles about you know how to how to win through intimidation or or how to claw your way to the top they would have understood that very well in the greco-roman world because that's what their culture was all about there was a perpetual competition for status and honor and paul is saying don't be part of that he says that's one way to look at the world sure but i've got a better way and so he goes on he says for as in one body we have many members, and not all members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. He says, instead of looking at us as, as a hierarchy, a competition, who's on top and who's on bottom, look at us as a united whole with different gifts. And then he fills that in. He says, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us in prophecy and proportion to faith, ministry and ministering, the teacher and teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. So there's different gifts, and these are the ways that the Holy Spirit helps us to cheat. Essentially, the Holy Spirit doesn't appear as one player on the team that everybody's looking at and saying, that's a weird, that's a weird player you've got on your D-League team. He's saying, the Holy Spirit gives one person an incredible ability to bat. And the Holy Spirit gives another person an incredible ability to field. And somebody else can be the coach and so forth. That there are different gifts. Instead of that one, the image I gave you earlier breaks down because the Holy Spirit isn't just one player. What Paul is saying is the Holy Spirit gives each person a supernatural gift so that they can collectively, as part of the body of Christ, make it better than it could be by itself. So then he paints this picture. Now this sounds like instructions, but it's really uh, more uh, an illustration of what that what that can look like. He says, "Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor." Again, instead of instead of doing things in the hopes that other people would look at you and say that's very impressive, instead be the first. Go first and lead in the area of showing honor. You see somebody, you're the one who says, you know, it doesn't take away from you to give them honor. So he says, um, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. 
contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to strangers. So that's kind of this image. The, the, the community of the Holy Spirit, the, the communion, the sharing, the partnership of the Holy Spirit, doing things that help the body, using, leveraging these gifts that the Holy Spirit has given them so that they can, they can be more successful than they would by themselves without the Spirit. But then he goes on and says, this is not just for good times. It's not just, you know, on the sunny days. This is for rainy days too. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, but weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Associate with the lowly. Do not be claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. For take thought what is noble in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So Paul paints this picture. This is what the community of the Holy Spirit, this is what the revitalized life that is made possible by the gospel enables us to do. If Jesus has reconnected us to God and the love of God is now flowing through us, the community of the Holy Spirit, the communion, the fellowship, the sharing, the partnership, this is what it looks like. This is what God's love flowing through us and out of us enables. 20 years ago, when I was uh, beginning to explore uh, Christianity, I was I had spent enough time as an agnostic that in, in all practical matters, I was an atheist. And uh, I married a Presbyterian, and she took me to church. And I was in a church in, uh, uh, in uh, what is it, Carmel, Carmel, Indiana, uh, spelled Carmel, but it's pronounced Carmel. And Pastor Jim Noble uh, was working with me to help me sort out some of the things that I was I was struggling with that that made it difficult for me to embrace Christianity. And one of the things he did is he said, "I'd like you to enroll in this year-long Bible study." And it was a, a Bible study called Kerygma. Some of you may have seen it before. It's it's uh it's actually there's two. There's Kerygma one and two, and it's it's this year-long intensive Bible study. And the idea with Kerygma is you kind of get a broad survey. Um, there's a lot of dogmas in the church. There's a lot of individual doctrines, the virgin birth or the incarnation. Um, there, there's all these little beliefs, but the kerygma is kind of standing back and saying, okay, if those are the trees, what is the forest? The kerygma is the whole collection of dogmas. It's it's the story, what is God doing? It's kind of the the big picture about the Bible. So he said, enroll in that class. And I think that'll help you. So I did. And um, it was a great class. Uh, there was a different pastor there, uh, Jim, Jim, uh, John Stevens, and he's kind of my model to this day for how to lead a Bible study. So I was, I was blessed because I was part of a, of a great Bible study that gave me a, the big picture. But, but there was another K word that I learned um, at that church. The first one was the kerygma word. I, I don't know why Greek words end in gamma. We don't have a lot of them in English, but dogmas and kerygmas. But there's a different K word that I learned there too. And it is the same word that we've been talking about, the partnership, the sharing, the communion. And the word for it in Greek is koinonia. And, and the way I learned this other K word was Jim, Jim Noble, uh, announced one day in church that we were going to revitalize the Mariners program. How many of you have ever heard of Mariners? Okay, there's some hands. Okay, I notice some of you have have gray beards and gray hair because it's an older program. I guess it was popular sometime before the early 90s. Um, but at that church, it had kind of uh, faded away. And there were some people who remembered it and thought it would be great if it could be revitalized. 
but um, but no one knew exactly how. And Jim said he had an idea. So he called together a great big meeting, and, and I don't know, there's a couple of hundred people who came to that meeting because they wanted to be part of a revitalized Mariners. But then what he did is he kind of uh, slipped in a totally different idea. Instead, instead of Mariners, he said, we need to have small groups. And the name for these groups, because Mariners was, was something different, there was resistance to calling them, you know, Mariners 2.0 or something. Uh, he, he said, okay, let's call them Koinonia groups. And as much as I learned in that Kerygma class, the reason I became a Christian is the Koinonia group that I was part of. We got involved in one of them and we spent time together. We did the kinds of things that we see Paul talking about in this letter. We did life together. We found out that that's the way Christianity is meant to be lived. It's meant to be part of a fellowship. I think that's, that's both the, the good thing and the bad thing about small churches. I think in a small church, people get a closer feel for that koinonia that God wants us to, to fellow, to the, the fellowship, the communion. We get a closer feel for that, that communion in a small church. You wouldn't get that at change point. You wouldn't have people who are praying about your, your coworker at change point unless you are part of a small group. And that's why big churches have small groups. And I think actually that's one of the problems you see in a church this size is that people get a hint, but they don't get the real experience or not as often. Some of you have turned your kerygma. You're in a Bible study and you have turned that kerygma group into a koinonia group. And that's a good thing. I would tell you the koinonia is more important than the kerygma. But my prayer for you as your pastor is that every one of you experience that kind of koinonia. That is really what we pray in, in the, in the blessing, the, the communion of the Holy Spirit. And I, my prayer for you is that you find ways and opportunities to experience it in a deeper way than you can get even in a small church. That you would find some group of Christians that you can have this kind of fellowship with where you can experience the koinonia that I did in that group. I do this to this day. I'm a member of three different ministerial associations and each one of them is not quite what I'm looking for, but collectively they, they satisfy this need that God has planted in us for fellowship. Um, when I, when I meet with people in my denomination, um, there's always this kind of elephant in the room, which is you're all wrong on all the denominational issues that are coming up. You know, we, we're, we normally see each other in the denominational meetings where we vote against each other. But we have set aside space. We're part of a koinonia group, a ministerial association, where we have an opportunity to experience um, life with people who understand us, people who are in the same place we're in. I'm a member of an ecumenical ministerial association where it's the opposite problem. We, we would probably agree on some issues with um, it, that we depart company with our de- denomination on, but we disagree on so many others, we're in whole different denominations. So we disagree on a lot of things. But it's not about agreement. It's about doing life together, being in relation with other Christians who know what you're going through or can at least relate to what you're going through. That's what the communion of the Holy Spirit is. The reason that Jim Noble had the ability to to set up the, the K groups, the Koinonia groups, is because he was part of a big church. Big churches have the have the resources, they have the staffing to make these sorts of things happen. This is a small church. I just don't have the bandwidth. 
People have asked me. People have said, hey, we need small groups here. And I would love to have them. I would encourage you to start them. But you're not going to get as much support from me, paradoxically, as you would at a big church. But my prayer for you is that you would find ways to be part of a small group. Whether you call it the choir, whether you call it a Bible study, whatever you need to do, call it what you want. But enjoy the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. My last prayer is for the church. The the reason Jim Noble did this was because there was a church down the road, Zionsville Presbyterian Church, and 90% of the people in that church were members of a small group. And Jim had heard him at ministerial associations or whatever, and he said, we have to get that in our church. Because he looked at what another church was doing, and he said, you know what? We're not in competition. We're not going to try to, to compete for honor and glory. Instead, he said, they're a part of the body of Christ. And he said, we can, we can benefit from what they're doing. So my prayer is that our church could benefit from what other churches are doing, that we can be open to new ideas, whether they occur in our denominations or whether they occur down the street. My prayer is that this church could be something that benefits from the work the Holy Spirit is empowering elsewhere. The blessing of God is this. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and evermore. And that's my prayer for you.